you're listing to the side because I moved my podium. Well, I'll move it back for you. All right, this should be good. Hey, and by the way, the, uh, the car that was going off, a silver Toyota Highlander. I went and checked. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Maybe somebody accidentally sat on their panic button? No? There's some folks across the way at the preschool right now, too, so maybe it was one of them. Um, but I don't know what they're doing over there. What are you guys doing here? Don't you know it's the big game today? Well, you're the few and the proud that came to church Super Bowl Sunday. I love it. Thanks for being here, guys. This is always sort of a special Sunday. You know, I've told this story ad nauseum, but I remember the first year we ever had a Super Bowl Sunday at Vespers. We just didn't anticipate it. You know, we, we planted the church in the fall and we get close to Super Bowl Sunday. We're like, oh, yeah, we're right in the middle of the Super Bowl. And the 49ers were in the Super Bowl that year. And so I remember at our old church, you know, which was a smaller sanctuary than this one, we literally had like one row of people, myself included. And I remember Jordan Sledge had a little pitch pipe and he would play a note. And then we sang acapella hymns at church that day. (laughs) And you know, there's part of it that's like so sad. But then another part of it that the people that were involved in that Sunday remember it very fondly. Like, that was so cool. So, you know, today you're here. Maybe you'll remember this fondly in the future. We've got lots of room in the sanctuary. Uh, Joy said we're more spiritual. But it's funny you say that, Joy, because that is going to tee up my sermon for today. Um, So remember that line because... That will, uh, that will come back into play. And I didn't pay her to say that. That just was natural. Um, okay, before I riff anymore, I think we just need to jump into the text for today. And I'm going to ask if you would stand, if you're able to, for the reading of God's word. You see up here on the screen, it's Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Um, you can also find it in your bulletin. Um, but best yet is in your own Bible So if you would, follow along with me as I read this for us. God's word says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth as I preach this evening and the meditations of all of our hearts as we listen to your word being preached, that it would be pleasing in your sight, Lord. We pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can go ahead and be seated. So last week, I was not with you guys. I was just around the corner at my house, feeling fine, by the way. It's just that about seven days prior, or 
six days, um, it finally hit me. I finally got my first case of COVID after all this time. And so um, I was down for a little while, but by the time last Sunday came around, I was feeling great. It's just that I was, um, you know, uh, playing it safe with the quarantine period. Hey, and Charlie, um, it looks like somebody's trying to get in the courtyard right here and might need your assistance. <laughs> I see all things from up here in the pulpit. So all that to say, I was out, but Pastor Brian filled in. Uh, he was uh, captain in the ship last week, and I hear did a great job. And he preached from right before this text, Romans 12, verse 2. A few weeks before that, I had preached Romans 12, verse 1. So what that means is we're just sort of like taking baby steps through this chapter, and we focused on sort of the two big commands that come right out of the gate. The one that I hit in chapter 12, verse 1 was offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then the one that Brian hit last week in Romans 12, 2 was do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That renewing of the mind is the big command that I take away. So offer your body living sacrifice and be renewed in your thinking, in your mind. Those are huge statements. It's part of the reason that we only took one verse at a time. Because they are broad, they are very general, they are very just huge in their scope. So much so that it can kind of be a little bit overwhelming on how do I practically and specifically apply this? Well, the beautiful thing about Romans 12, and not just this chapter, 13, 14, 15, and on, is that what it's going to do is it's going to take those broad general commands and slowly but surely begin to taper them down, to begin to narrow them into this funnel so that they begin to look like more pointed, specific applications. And the general will become very concrete and specific. And we see a great example of that today. The verse that we started with, Chapter 12, verse 3, it comes right on the heels of renew your mind. And this is what it says a renewed mind looks like. I'll read it for you one more time. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Here's what the renewed mind looks like for the Christian. is someone who does not have this self-aggrandized vision of who they are, does not have this pompous, arrogant self-perception, but views themselves with humility and views themselves soberly. If I kept going, we would have seen that. But to think with sober judgment, they're viewing themselves in a proper way. Now, this particular kind of... Uh, rebuke or correction or teaching, we might call it, it it's, it's very pointed for any group of people that would read this and receive this. However, I've got a hunch that we as American citizens in the 21st century might be sort of stung by this more than other cultures throughout history have. 
I know I, I, I can't prove that, but let me give a little bit of evidence of why I think this. I'm going to go back to this, this film that I saw a, a trailer for years and years and years ago. Um, I think I talked about it like way back before Vespers was even in existence. So I don't think any of you guys have heard about this before. But the trailer for the film, it's a documentary. It's called Waiting for Superman. Has anybody ever seen that or heard of that before? Yeah, I see some people shaking their head. It's from 2010, and it's a documentary about the American education system. And particularly, it's about charter schools in this big city and the families waiting to kind of for the lottery picks if, if they'll get in the charter school or not. So the, the, the film really is about the charter school sort of situation, but in the trailer, they show some statistics that ended up being more fascinating to me than the actual talk about the charter schools. Because in the statistics they're showing, which surprise, surprise, turns out that students in the United States back 10, 15 years ago, uh, compared to the rest of the developed countries in the world, we, we were not number one, like we'd like to think. In math, we were like number 17. In science and technology, lagging behind like number 18. Logic and reasoning, way behind all these other countries. So in all these sort of testable disciplines, American students weren't dead last, but they definitely weren't number one either. But there was one area that apparently there was survey questions and testing in where American students outpaced every other student in the world by a long shot. And you know what it was? Confidence. American students, head and shoulders more than any other developed nation, believed in themselves more than anyone. And, and, and this belief in itself, it, it was totally out of sync with actual ability. That's what was so striking about it. So I remember years ago when I mentioned this at, at church way back in the day, the, the, the line that I remember kind of coming up with is, I can't read, but I'm the best at reading. That's kind of the picture that you got a little bit. And so these researchers are seeing this, this, this huge wave of Americans entering adulthood whose self-perception of who they are and what they are was totally out of keeping with their actual skill set and talents and abilities. Uh, th to use the, the phrasing of our, our text today, they thought of themselves more highly than they ought to. And hey, just in case you're, you're, one, you're thinking that I'm beating up on like this, you know, group of students, remember, I know I'm old, but I haven't always been old. In fact, I'm technically a millennial, like by the skin of my teeth, I fit into the millennial generation. And that film was studying students back in 2010 who were, guess what, millennials. So I'm sort of got myself in the crosshairs here. I'm part of this group of people that have irrational confidence that doesn't correlate to my actual skills. And I've seen that sometimes, even foolishly, I've tried to do basic arithmetic up here in the pulpit, totally gotten it wrong. But you know what, if you asked me on a random day, like, Josh, are you good at math? I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at math. I'm not. I'm terrible at math. So I'm one of this group of people. I'm not picking on anyone here. If anybody, I'm picking on myself. 
And I'm part of the group of people that comes to this text, this text that tells me, Josh, you want to know what a transformed life in Christ looks like? You want to know what the renewed mind in Jesus looks like? Well, it starts with a humble self-assessment. It starts with not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to with arrogance and pompousness. It actually comes from seeing yourself honestly and with a sober judgment. It's hard. It cuts against the grain of everything I've been taught, not just in the education system. I mean, that's what that documentary was focusing in on. But remember, guys, we're a generation of people, and I'm talking about pretty much every generation that's represented here. We've grown up on Disney. We've grown up on Nike's advertising campaigns, all of which have told us that the secret to redemption and true salvation is just to believe in ourselves hard enough, to convince ourselves that we're the best, that we've got all that it takes, that there's nothing that can stop us from doing from what we want to do. To come at this idea of a renewed mind and have the Bible say, actually, that's not the perspective the renewed mind has. It's jarring. It reminds me of what Pastor Brian was preaching about last week when he talked about how the renewed mind, it's almost like when you do that hard factory reset of your phone, it strips everything away. It starts at the bottom of the basics, but sometimes it's necessary just to have that hard reset. This is kind of what this is like to not buy into this self-aggrandizing vision, but see myself accurately and humbly. Now, there might be a few of you guys that are thinking that what I'm suggesting here is self-loathing. It's not a promise. When the Bible talks about having this sober thinking about ourselves, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, the alternative is not to think of ourselves as just some debased, low, awful thing. Self-loathing is not the answer either. That is equally problematic. What we're going to go for here is neither self-loathing nor thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, but thinking honestly and truly. And, in a phrase that we're going to come back to in a moment, with the measure of faith that God has given us. That's going to be the key. But like I said, we're going to save that for the very end. For now, I want to kind of look at the back half of this text, which, as you notice, the majority of the verses that we read today had nothing to do with a documentary from 2010. Surprise, surprise. The Apostle Paul apparently hasn't seen that documentary. Nor would he know anything about American culture, since that's way beyond the day that he's writing here in the first century A.D. No, he's writing to the Romans, who might have had their own issues with pride and self-aggrandizement. Most likely they did but we can't know for sure. But I think Paul is writing to them about this particular issue because he knows that it's not just a Roman thing, it's not just an American thing, if he knew what American culture was, it's a human thing. Every single human being struggles with this concept of when we view ourselves thinking more highly than is actually true. And that becomes even more amplified in the context of the church. Christians probably struggle with it more than anyone else. 
I say it's more true in the church because the reality is that when you are in a local body of believers, a church, you are confronted with people that are different than you. Sometimes wildly different than you. Sometimes just a little bit. But the truth is, whether we like it or not, that God has decreed that salvation, that redemption in Christ is not just you and Jesus alone in the woods. It's communal. It's part of a body. You are part of a people now. So that sometimes it's more proper when we sing or talk about salvation to talk about what God has done for us rather than just simply always talking about what God's done for me. We're in this body. God has decreed it to be that way. And it's beautiful in some senses because we are this diverse group of people, but we have so much in common now in Christ. One faith, one hope, one baptism, one creed and confession that we say together. That's part of the reason that so much of what we do here at Vespers is saying things in unison together. It's because we want to symbolically show that we're one, that we're united in those things. However, with as much stuff as we share, there's also the reality that we're very different. Different backgrounds, different education levels, different means. Some people more on the spectrum of the poor, some people more on the spectrum of the rich. There's different ethnicities represented, different cultures, different languages. I could go on and on and on. And not only those things, even the way that God has made us and gifted us is different. So that in the body, you're surrounded by people that God has given different distinct gifts to that aren't just like yours. Look back at this passage with me again, and we can throw it up. Yeah, this is perfect. I really want you to see verse 4 one more time. Verse 4 says this, For as in one body we have many members, here we go, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God, by his grace, has gifted us with spiritual gifts, each one of us different. Hey, um, could we, people keep trying to come to that door and can't get in. Is there somebody that could go to the back door and just put the the foot stopper in it? Because that's going to keep happening, I think. Thanks, Brad. So what were we saying? In the body, there's this distinction of gifts. God, by his grace, has given you different spiritual gifts but he specifically and purposely makes them different from those around you. So just in this text, we see a few of them. This isn't all of them, but it's a few. If you have the gift of prophecy, he says, let us use it in proportion to your faith. The gift of prophecy here is kind of debated on what exactly that means. Some people think that the gift of prophecy is something that existed for a small time in the early church, but it doesn't anymore. I actually am more of the mind of thinking that prophecy is an enduring gift. And it's one that God gives to people in the body to be able to speak a word into specific situations, into specific people with a power, with a weight. That's more than me just saying like, hey, maybe you should do this. 
The prophetic word is not of the same stature of God's special revelation in the Bible. It can't be elevated to that. But it is something that God gives his people to be able to speak to one another words of encouragement, words of power. So he says here, if you have the gift of prophecy, use it in according to your faith. If you have the gift of service, use it in serving. Service here is actually the word that comes from, uh, that we're talking about uh, nominating deacons. Deacon is actually the Greek word for serving. And at the most basic level, it means waiting tables. Do you guys know that? The deacons are our waiters. And he says, if your gift is the gift of deaconing, of serving, serve. It goes on, teaching. That's the gift that I think I'm, uh, you know, actually exhibiting right now. To be able to take the word of God and to teach it and explain it and apply it. Exhortation, that is encouragement, taking the promises of God and lifting up your brothers and sisters with it. I could keep going on with each one of these gifts, but the point is, Paul's pointing them out to say, that just as the body has different parts with different functions, so we as the body of Christ have been given different spiritual gifts, not the same. And they're supposed to work in harmony and unity, even in their difference, to build the body up. Now, like we said a second ago, that can be a beautiful thing when you see that diversity working in harmony. It can also be a very challenging thing. Because difference, difference with our background or difference with our spiritual gifts, whatever it is, it is a breeding ground for rivalry, for envy, for jealousy, for resentment, for comparison. You know, back in the day um, when we uh, did the welcome seminar, kind of the new members class, uh, one of the things that we used to do is we would give a spiritual gift assessment test to people to go home and, and take. And the idea is it would help you kind of identify what your spiritual gifts might be. And our previous pastor, Tom Savage, that I worked with for many years, I remember he always had the greatest line when we would give people this test, especially married couples, he would say, hey, don't take this test yourself. Have your spouse take it for you. And the reason why is because he knew that we have gift envy. (laughs) That we don't look accurately at the gifts that God has given us. We look at the gifts that Kevin has and say, oh, I kind of want that. And so I fill out the test based on the gift I want, not the gift I have. Or I look at the gift that Brian has and say, like, man, I wish I was more like that. And so I do that instead. All that to say the difference of the spiritual gifts is this potential to breed envy and jealousy and comparison. A comparison that all of a sudden, to get back to kind of where we started, makes me look at someone else as lesser and makes me think of myself more highly than I should. That's usually where comparison leads, back to an elevated sense of self. So I I don't know if this is the right way to kind of to get at this, but I was really thinking this week, how, how do I get the congregation to realize where this pops up in our thinking, in our assumptions? So I just thought I'd throw out some hypotheticals that, yeah, uh-oh is right, Joy. They're hypotheticals that aren't totally hypotheticals because I've heard them before. I've said them before. 
and maybe you have too. We'll see what you think. So here's a hypothetical. Wow. Why doesn't that person ever sign up for volunteer opportunities like I do? We pass the clipboard around and I don't ever see their name on the list. How come this person signs up for every volunteer opportunity? They must think they're earning points in heaven or something because who does that? How about this one? This one got me in trouble this morning in paradise. Why did this guy wear a suit and tie to church? Does he think God actually cares about that? Or how about this? What is this kid doing wearing shorts and flip-flops? Does he not know where he is? That's the part that got me in trouble this morning. We're going to get a little more serious here. How come they asked that person to sing on the worship team? I could do way better than they could. Or... I'm leading worship with all my heart. Why do these people out here look like they have no pulse? Raise your hands or something. What's the matter? Why doesn't this person care more about abortion like they should? Why doesn't that person care more about racism and justice like they should? Have you, have you ever thought anything like that, heard anything like that? said anything like that? I have. And I know some of you guys have too. You've said it to me. <laughs> and, and, and granted, <laughs> sorry, that might have sounded. Not, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast. I'm just saying, like, let's not pretend here. And the point I'm trying to make is not that those assessments are false. We're wrong. I'm not saying that we just dismiss that and throw it out. Yeah, it, it could be true that you are more talented than X, Y, or Z. It might very well true, be true that this person needs to care more about abortion than they currently do. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's wrong or false. What I'm trying to point out to you is when we begin to go into that comparison mode, more often than not... It comes back to us thinking much of ourselves and little of the people around us. To thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Because all of those phrases, really, the, the sort of the tacit implication, the subtle thing, the in-between-the-lines thing that's not said but it's there, is if they did it like I did, they would be in better shape. If this person prioritized the things I prioritized, then they would be better off. And I make much of myself and very little of them. So how do we solve this? I know that the thinking is usually like, well, stop doing comparisons. I'm not sure how feasible that is. I think comparisons are just part of living in a world with difference. Comparison is part of being in a church body where God gives different gifts and brings people together from different backgrounds. It's just part of being human. And notice the command that we have from Paul in Romans 12 is not don't compare yourself. What is his command? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. The issue is not comparison. The issue is when I make the comparison, how do I think of myself in it? Am I thinking of myself accurately or with this inflated sense of importance and skill and purpose? 
This is where we finally get to that phrase that I told you all a while ago is going to be key for us. It was in verse 3, and the phrase is this, the measure of faith. Let me read it all in context. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In the scripture, we're told that the way out of this comparison trap is by thinking of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us. And that, I, I really resisted trying to make this the keystone of the, the whole sermon because the, the truth is, this is a very tricky phrase that's kind of hard to understand. And in recent days, I've kind of had a change of understanding exactly what this means. So for many years, I've thought as the measure of faith here as a portion of faith. So the image I had in my head is God's got like this giant measuring cup full of faith. And then he pours a little bit out on each one of us. He pours a little bit to Brian. Here's your faith, Brian, your measure of faith. And then John, you get a little bit more. You get more of the measure of faith. And Joy, you get... You're okay if I say this. You get a little less of the measure of faith than John and so on and so on. It's a hypo, it's an example, guys. I'm talking about a giant measuring cup of faith, all right? You don't need to do the ooh, okay? I love you, Joy. And you too, Brian. And you too, John, but you know, you got the most faith in my example, so. So that is one way of looking at this, that it's this portion that God doles out different a different measure of faith to each person. Some people view it that way still. I used to view it that way, but now I actually think there's a better way of reading that particular phrase. And that thinks of the measure of faith not so much as a portion, but as a standard. In this understanding, it's not a giant measuring cup full of faith that God's pouring out on people, but rather the measure of faith is like a yardstick. It's a length, a standard length that every single one of us judges themselves by. And the length is the same for everybody. And that length is faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. How do, how do you judge yourself? Well, I judge myself against this yardstick, and that yardstick is believing in what Jesus has done for me, not my own abilities, not my own strength, not my own accomplishments, because the reality is, if I use the measurement of faith, I realize that all those things are purely the grace of God given to me. When you measure yourself by that yardstick, the yardstick of faith, you realize you have nothing to boast in, and that everything you are is a gift of God's grace. And all of a sudden now, comparisons take on this new hue where it's not me elevating myself over anybody else, but rather seeing differences as purely chalked up to God giving different grace in different settings. That's it. I don't walk away from comparisons anymore thinking that it means something about how great that I am. I walk away by saying that's yet another example of the grace of God in all of our lives. And that comes about when each of us think of ourselves soberly according to the measure of faith. 
believing in something that's not us, but is the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone. I think my biggest struggle with this, I'm going to sort of open up my ugliness for you for a bit, is as a pastor, when I go visit other churches, I get so excited sometimes when I go home to visit my parents or I'm on vacation or even have some time off here to go just worship in another church environment. Not to be, you know, on the job, but I just get to sit out in the congregation and enjoy and receive the ministry of the word and singing and prayer. But what happens more often than not is I go into a worship service that I'm not involved in and I begin very quickly to start comparing and critiquing and thinking about all the different ways that I would do it different. I would structure things different. I would order things different. Or the preaching, I would have preached that text a lot different. I would have applied it different. And the comparison reels just start cranking. And in the worst moments, guys, it hasn't just been noting differences. It's been me walking away from those comparisons saying, I would have done it better. I'm more gifted than that preacher. I'm more uh, got my finger on the pulse of what people need than the person that created that liturgy or whatnot. I walk away with it in serious need of repentance because what I've just done is I've used a worship service of God to make it about me thinking more highly of myself. And it's ugly when you see that. It's brought me to my knees sometimes. And let's leave alone the question of whether I have a, you know, an accurate, like me walking away in that comparison feeling good about myself. Many of y'all out there are probably like, uh, Josh, you, you shouldn't have felt so good about yourself. That preacher's way better than you are. Let's leave that question to the side for right now. And let's just focus on what should I do going forward? What, how should I apply this passage and in particular this calling to have the renewed mind that doesn't think of myself more highly than I ought when I go into a new worship service. I'm going to be there probably this spring when I go back to Georgia to visit my parents. I'll be in a church environment right down the street from my parents in this position I'm telling you about. What should I do? Again, the knee-jerk reaction is usually, well, Josh, just don't compare yourself. Don't compare anything. Don't play the comparison game at all. I'm not sure that's possible. We draw comparisons. It's part of living in a world full of differences. I think the better thing, the more accurate thing about how to apply this text would be me go into it and say, you know what? When that comparison happens, let me make sure that I am measuring myself against the standard of faith. Not the standard of my accomplishments, not the standard of talents and skills, not the standard of any spiritual gift for that matter. That how I'm defining myself is purely against the standard of believing in Jesus and faith and knowing that everything I have, whether it's good, whether it's mediocre, whether it's not so good, is a gift of God's grace. There's nothing to boast in. And so every time that comparison comes of how maybe I would have approached something different or how I would have structured something different, it's not an occasion for thinking of who's better or who's worse, who's stronger or who's weaker. No, that's out the window now. All it is is an occasion to say, 
Look at how God in his grace has gifted each one of us differently. Equipped us for our specific context, our specific people that we serve, our specific time of ministry. It's not a better or worse thing. It's a faith thing. It brings me to my knees and says all of it is a gift. And nothing that I can boast in. You know, the end of our text when it was talking about all the different spiritual gifts, I kind of laughed at it this week when I was reading through it because I had forgotten just how sort of silly redundant it can sound. So, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, exhortation in exhorting. You know, it almost seems like a kid's nursery rhyme where you just repeat the same word. What is that actually saying there? I think what it might be saying is this. That when you finally have the freedom of not thinking comparisons are about who's better or worse or stronger or weaker. You finally have the freedom to think of yourself soberly as just purely the beneficiary of God's grace. Then you are free to just do your giftedness without looking to the left and right. Without judging other people's giftedness. About trying to make yourself bigger or smaller compared to them. If you're a servant, you can just serve. If you're a teacher, you can just teach. You don't have to look over to the servants. You don't have to look over to the prophets. You've been given the gift of teaching. You just get to teach and love every minute of it. You get to exhort and love every minute of it. And just stay where God has you, celebrating his grace and his gifts and his faith. Always coming back to that yardstick of faith and say, I don't measure myself against anything else but that. And that's something we all share in common. In weeks to come, we're going to see that there are more commands here that give us this idea of what it looks like to renew our mind. But this was the first one. This was the one Paul started with. A renewed mind looks like a humble self-assessment. And soberly thinking about who you are, not as some self-debased worm, but also not as some saintly paragon. No, you are a sinner saved by grace who has been given much in Christ, who is celebrated and delighted in by Jesus himself, but who can boast in nothing of your own because it's all been a gift of what he's given. That's the renewed mind. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the truth of these words. I pray that you would allow us to continue to chew on and meditate and pray over these words of Scripture so that they would truly sink in and help us have that renewed mind that's described here. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.